Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. All right, here we go. This is uh, Sean Martin. You're very welcome to a new episode of Redefining Cybersecurity here on ITSP Magazine, where I have the distinct pleasure of trying to figure out how to operationalize security in the business, not just to protect uh, what it has, but to protect and enable growth as well. And uh, even just protecting what you have can be difficult when you start thinking a little more broadly and, and Progressively, it gets even more challenging. Uh, the, the conversations at the business level, business level to make that happen uh, become a little more complex. And uh, so, thankfully, I, I don't have to do that job. <laughs> I just get to talk about it with people who have done it, uh, don't want to do it, talk, uh, analyze it, <laughs> uh, help people in that role. Um, so I get to pick their brain, and I'm thrilled to have Ali and Jeff on today to uh, to help me have a conversation around security metrics. How, do do we measure? How do we measure? Do we know we're doing it right? Um, what what really matters? So not not a small topic. Right? <laughs> There's a lot to lot to cover there. We'll see where we go with this one. I'm I'm excited to have this conversation. Uh, before we get there, though, uh, Ali, you've been on the show, but for those who haven't listened to those episodes yet, first go listen to them. And then to uh, do a quick quick intro to who Ali is and what you're up to at the moment. Yeah. First off, thanks so much for having us. Super thrilled to be back. Uh, I'm Ali Mellon. I'm a senior analyst on the security and risk team at Forrester. I cover security operations, so all things people process technology in the SOC. From a technology perspective, that's EDR, XDR, SIMS, or security analytics, and then others, ransomware, minor attack, nation state threats. Uh, I've been working with Jeff quite a bit on security metrics specifically for the SOC, but he is our resident metrics expert. So <laughs> I'm very glad that he was also able to join. Jeff, do you want to do a quick intro? Yeah, absolutely. So Jeff Pollard here, Vice President, Principal Analyst on the Security and Risk Team here at Forrester. 
uh, one of the topics I cover and spend actually most of my time on involves security metrics. And I love it. In fact, when I joined Forrester about seven and a half years ago, I said I wanted to cover security metrics and everyone slowly backed away. Um, so maybe not the best way to introduce myself, I guess. But uh, this is certainly a, a, a topic I'm passionate about. Ali and I get to spend a lot, of a lot of time together talking about this in context of security operations and detection and response. Um, but in terms of what I cover, I get to kind of bring it out beyond that, as well as talking about it through the context of conversations with the board, which also matters. Yeah, and then and the first thing I think of when I think of measuring um, a security program, and more probably more specifically a SOC, some, some four-letter acronyms come to mind uh, straight away. And I don't know if those are meaningful or not. We'll, I'm sure we'll touch on those at some point. So let's first talk about, um, I'm not going to spoil that, but what, let's first talk about what are security metrics. Well, let's, let's define what they are. I don't know who wants to, wants to go first because it sounds like there's stuff for different departments, obviously, right? In the yeah. Stock. And so who, who wants to kick it off? I'll, I'll, I'll go first and I'll, I'll talk about how I talk about metrics in this context. And for me, it's sort of about not so much what metrics are, but what they're designed to do. And that, that's where I think you have to start with this topic. And so my number one rule when it comes to security metrics, and I, I take this from the Lean Startup and, and Eric Reese in particular, um, which is that a metric is only useful insofar as it leads to your next decision. That, that to me is what metrics are, what they should accomplish, what they do, and when they're right, that's what they enable you to do, right? Metrics are data points, quantitative, and maybe even qualitative measures that allow you to understand either what decision you should make next, what decision you should make now, or give you the results of a decision you've made in the past um, and give you some insight into whether or not what you expected to happen actually did happen. So metrics are really used to help you understand a decision or make a future decision um, or, or a decision moment to moment. That's generally how I summarize it. And I really love this because it's uh, particularly, I find it very challenging when it comes to SOC metrics because we often think about, okay, how is this translating up? But in reality, there's there's a lot of different places where metrics can be useful with the way that Jeff has, has defined them. And that's, of course, at the level of what's happening in the SOC as well. But what do you translate up? What's actually being translated up that's going to actually be useful for decision-making versus just reporting to report on something and reporting something that matters to you, but doesn't matter to anyone else in the org. <laughs> so creating that differentiation, I think is very important. And it comes back to what Jeff said about always leading with what's going to be help you make a decision. And, and that's the way, and that's the secret to making metrics relevant it, it is exactly that part. It's about sharing that metric, sharing that information with the person that is empowered to make that decision. Um, if, if you are targeting your audience correctly from a metrics perspective, then the people that you need the support of to make the decision you need to make are the audience for the metric. So that could be a strategic metric in the sense of the senior leadership team, executive leadership team, maybe even the board. It could be an operational metric, one within the security program itself. You could be making decisions or even a tactical metric, uh, one that has more to do with kind of the day-to-day um, you know, operational or practitioner oriented workflows that that run the security program. But that's really kind of that other part of this, which is that it's not just that the ability to make a decision. It's also that the audience that you're sharing the metric with is the audience that makes that decision. And when you when you create 
that, when you have a metric that accomplishes both of those objectives, you ensure and, and kind of guarantee that they're relevant to the audience that you're speaking with. Um, so there's not a lot of secret sauce to it. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, but what I find most of the time with metrics is that we settle for counts and quantities of things that our technology tells us about and don't so much focus on the actual sort of outcomes or decisions that we want to make about those counts and quantities. It's interesting in that uh, I love what we're saying already. And the, the thing that comes to mind for me is, well, why, who, who is, who's producing the metrics and for whom? And I can, I can see the easy path, like security teams producing metrics up to their manager. I'm doing a good job. That goes up to the, 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 the line of business for security, uh, Yes, our investments are producing good results. That goes up to the executive staff. Yes, we're mitigating risk at risk at the right level, and up to the board, we can we can talk about uh, our ESG and uh, how we fit into ESG and all the other stuff that they're caring about, right? And then potentially back down, right? Well, here's how our department's doing. Doing we need to adjust your role in these ways, and perhaps even cross team, right? So element to SecOps to SOC to in kind of those interactions, perhaps. Is there a role for self metrics? And which raises a question for me of, well, who provides that person <laughs> with the metrics so that they can know what this is? Here's what I'm doing. I need to make a, a decision based on what I'm doing at the moment. And how does that get How's that get put together? Yeah, so I think part of that, I'll, I'll, Ali, I'll, I'll, I want you to answer this in context of the SOC and security operations, especially for practitioners. But often when I see that from a leadership perspective, whether it's a leader evaluating themselves or maybe even their direct reports, um, that's where you do need strong coaching, strong talent development. Um, you actually need something in place where you have more of a curriculum and succession planning. So you understand the kind of career journey that personnel are on um, because those are meaningful metrics. One of the, one of the best things um, that I've ever heard from, uh, from one security leader I talked to is that they kind of made liberal use of internal um, HR platforms because they had to use those, not because they wanted to, to be clear, but they made liberal use of these platforms to conduct surveys after a security practitioner was staffed on a project um, across teams, for example. So a security architect, a security practitioner was assigned to work with the dev team uh, or the, you know, the data analytics team, something like that, and, and provide some you know, security expertise within that team. And when those projects would wrap up, that leader would send out a, a survey and effectively say, hey, did, did the security architect help you? What was this engagement like? Did they solve problems for you? Uh, were they, a, you know, did they act as a policy gate or as an enabler of success? Like, what was that inter interaction like? And this leader did this, not just because they wanted to understand the sort of sentiment of what happens when security works with other parts of the organization. That was definitely part of it. But the other thing this leader wanted to understand is the recognition that often one of the ways when we're developing security talent that we struggle is that security practitioners have boatloads of technical expertise, right? We are an expert-oriented practice and, and profession. And often the thing that you have to develop with future leaders, with more, as you want to gain influence in the org, is to develop those soft skills, what we often call soft skills, right? Um, you know, kind of working with other groups, having some empathy, understanding shared objectives, and helping people accomplish their goals. So this was a mechanism for that leader 
to then go and understand whether or not the people reporting to them needed some help with things like that, right? Was this person enabling you or were they an obstacle? So they would do a survey on that. And that was one way that they collected some of that, not self-feedback, but it was feedback about practitioners across teams. Um, I think that when you get into to earlier stages in careers, it's a little bit different. And I think when you get into some of the functional roles like security operations, for example, that's where some of, you know, a lot of those metrics about the individual are super important, not just about the program, because you want to cultivate and enable your talent to progress the way they want to progress. And Ali, I know you've, you've talked about this a lot um, in your research. So I'll, I'll kind of hand things to you on that. Yeah, thank you. And I, I think it's an interesting question because to me, it's very, um, there's a lot of different ways you could take that. It depends a lot on what you want to get out of it. Like one of the challenges that I see and that I've seen in a lot of the research that I've done on the security analyst role is that uh, they're kind of on their own island. You know, they're kind of left to their own devices in a lot of ways. And that means that you have a lot of control over your own destiny. It also means that you are scrambling from the start to make sure that you're headed in the right direction and you don't actually have the experience to know what the right direction is. So it's very challenging in that way. And so when I think about this question, I think about, well, what do you actually want to do from, from day one? Like, what's your goal? If your goal is the leadership route, then the metrics that you choose to operate under are going to be leadership focused and they're going to be leadership focused through the view of that organization. If it's technical and it's much more individual contributor style, then they're going to be very different ones. But at the end of the day, especially at that individual level, when you're thinking about what you are looking for in the next step in your career, you need to be the one defining those metrics. Now, there's going to be hopefully <laughs> in an ideal scenario, someone who is your manager, who is setting some type of metrics for you. I think that we've all been in situations where we haven't had somebody who has an idea of what success looks like in a particular role. Um, unfortunately, it's an unfortunate reality of business. But even in those circumstances, um, it's there's two sides of this coin, right? There's the side of what is your career? What do you want your career to look like in five years? And what are the metrics that you need to align around that? And then on the other side of the coin, what do you want your time at, in this role, in this opportunity to look like? And that's where it has to be super aligned to the business objectives and, and to the, the team objectives in particular and to excelling in those. And there's a lot of synergies that typically come between those two, especially if you map it out early and continue to reevaluate over time. If you kind of go in and just go where the wind takes you, it's going to be much more difficult to align those. And that's where you'll end up butting heads with either the system or what you want to do next in your career. So we're kind of very, very broad stroke. I mean, I took it down to the individual person I know, but still kind of broad stroke metrics here. And I'm wondering how, is there a way to break it down into what matters for security programs um, to well, I guess I, what, I'm trying to think of what to ask here. What What's important for them to make decisions on that would then def, define what metrics they should be uh, looking to create uh, yeah. and uh, capture? Let's ask yeah. That yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. So one of the, I think one of the reasons why metrics are so important for security programs, and I'll give some examples of, of interesting ways that I've seen metrics used in, in some examples, but one of the reasons I think they're so important is because often within security, we find ourselves being forced to prove a negative, right? 
we weren't breached. Um, and, and in some cases, security leaders are frankly superstitious, hesitant, um, painfully concerned about celebrating a victory because we sort of live in this world where we assume breach, right? It's not when or if, they only have to be successful once. A lot of those things are, are just kind of, we're, we're kind of conditioned to that, right? So there's almost this degree of superstition of, you know, don't talk about the fact that you're not breached because that means you're definitely breached and you just don't know it. Um, and I think metrics are, are incredibly helpful here to help security leaders um, you know, a kind of brag about the program, right? Have a little bit of swagger that, yeah, we've accomplished things. Yes, we've we've been successful. Um, and so what I often find in scenarios like that is looking at things like security maturity as a very basic starting point. I don't really consider maturity or a maturity measure to be a metric per se, but it can give you a foundational sort of quantitative-ish number on where the security program is. So that's kind of a starting point. Hey, we're at this maturity here. We want to stay at that or get better. So this is going to be our journey over time. But I've also seen scenarios where metrics are used um, for security leaders to influence the rest of the org. I'll give you another example. Um, everyone knows about what is my least favorite metric, and I'll explain why. Um, the metric of are our systems patched or not? So, you know, number of system patched with an SLA, often broken up by severity level or sometimes broken up by severity level. Often it's just kind of systems patched or not, maybe not even that granular. Well, that to me is an excellent metric if what you're interested in exploring is how much IT and security hate each other. <laughs> um, because IT deploys the patch and security tells them to deploy all the patches. So it's a great metric at figuring out how tired of, of security IT is, right? Because they're not patching because they're, you know, they're, they're not choosing not to patch um, because they just want to spite you, probably. They're busy and they can't patch everything and it takes time. So this is one of those, to me, it's a metric that reflects disconnectedness between two, two entities better than it shows anything about what you're doing. But there are some scenarios where you can make that a really powerful metric. And one example is to take that and look at it by business unit, um, by infrastructure team, by region. Um, by asset criticality uh, or, or by, um, you know, vulnerability severity even, where you can start benchmarking things and saying, hey, you know, it turns out that when I work with this department within IT, we actually get critical vulns patched really, really quickly. But when I work with this other group within IT, I don't. And people are competitive. No one wants to be worse at this. So a lot of times what happens is, again, we go back to these counts and quantities, which, which actually cause a problem for security leaders, um, especially when you look at things like incidents, for example. Um, if, if you're reporting counts and quantities of incidents, well, I have really bad news. When you get more budget and you add more controls, your incidents went up. So now you go in front of the board and you say, well, last quarter we saw a million bad things. This quarter we saw one and a half million. And that's better. The board's like, wait, hold on. CFO's like, wait a second, we gave you more money. You saw 500,000 more incidents. I thought you were going to see less things. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. I finally saw them now. When I told you that we only had a million last time, it's because I did. Well, wait a second. Yeah, I don't know if I want to say that. Because suddenly you're saying you're admitting the last number I gave you. Well, that number wasn't real. It was just all we could see. Now that you gave me more money, I can give you the real number. So it, it, they wind up kind of trapping security. So often what you need to do is take those, those existing metrics you have, add a numerator, add a denominator, and that's what can make them compelling for the rest of the organization. It's, it's when you don't do that and you just report them kind of directly that you lose out on a lot of the advantages you could build. Things like comparing it by group where people are competitive. And suddenly if you're benchmarking internally, Everyone wants to patch a little bit faster. That to me is what starts to make a more compelling metric because the decision then is, well, do you want to patch slowly or do you want to patch quickly?
you decide. Like, you want to be as cool as the other group here that's got a bright, shiny green color? Or do you want to be bad like the group that's got the the bad red color? Like, you pick. And it also um, gives context, right? Because, yeah. like, the original, like, if you just have the incident metric, then the board or whoever's looking at that is like, okay, but what does that mean? Like, it's meaningless. Whereas once you incorporate these other aspects, you actually, it starts to mean something. It starts to sound and look like forward progress or backward progress or something tangible, so... And Allie and I use this a lot in context of detection and response. One of the things that I find is take mean time to detect, mean time to respond. Uh, I was going to see if we get through without mentioning. Oh, we can. I mean, just like the art, obligatory MTTD, MTTR <laughs> mention, right? So those this were, is, those were the four, four letter I didn't. didn't. Th th there you go, right? Well, so are these metrics good or bad? Eh, should you have them? Yeah, probably. But there are ways to make that more interesting because these are good metrics in context of forecasting headcount and capacity and throughput. For example, if your company is growing at a certain rate, if you have a certain number of employees and you plan on hiring more and you have a certain mean time to detect respond, you know, to detect or respond today, well, you know, if you add 10% uh, to, to the employee count of the enterprise and that leads to 10% more incidents, if you start to understand that fraction of how these things relate to each other, well, you can suddenly take MTTD and MTTR and say, well, if we see a 10% increase in incident, then it's likely that we're going to see a 15% slowdown in mean time to respond because of throughput or bandwidth. That's a great headcount metric. It's a great operational metric, but you can also use it with, you know, the, uh, with CFO, with HR, with IT if you report into IT, or even a CEO if you're fortunate enough to report there to say, look, if we're going to grow the company, I have to grow our SOC team. Otherwise, we are going to take things. It's going to take us longer to respond to things, and we've agreed as a group that we wanna have an MTTR of 15 minutes or one hour or two hours, et cetera. So there are ways to take some of those conventional ones that we use, like those four letter acronyms, you mentioned the MTTXs of the world and make them meaningful, but not by saying it takes us 15 minutes to detect. Like that, okay, is that good or bad? I don't know, maybe it's great. But if you start to say, well, it takes us this long, but if we grow this much, we need to make some changes. We need to grow the team. We need to work with an external partner. Suddenly that's more meaningful. Yeah, and I often look to other, other industries for inspiration for some of these things. And I, I know in the healthcare world, they, they put a big emphasis on uh, readmission. Right? <laughs> if you can actually treat the problem properly up as early as possible and, and when you finally catch it, uh, to get it to where you're not bringing a patient back or keeping them in for extended periods. It's kind of, it's maybe the, the MTTX example as well. But uh, so uh, one is easy, right? They don't come back um, or they come back very few times or whatever, but how do we, how do we as a, as a group have these conversations then with, with the leadership? Because a lot of what you just described, Jeff and Ellie is kind of, presenting the negative, presenting that we well, gave us more and when we're doing more, which increased numbers, which don't make sense. There's a lot of weirdness in this for people that don't understand. And then perhaps maybe not meaningful enough information for the, for the teams that are doing it as well. So how, how do we have those conversations at, at both ends of, of the, or both sides of the metrics? Yeah. So 
so I think on the readmission side, Ali, I want you to jump in with that one um, in a second. But I think that what you what you hit on, it's funny, the journey of this conversation is kind of how most of my inquiries go about this topic, which is we start with a discussion on metrics. Um, and I, I kind of walk security leaders and their teams through this methodology of you need to make a decision and kind of strategic, operational, tactical, leading, lagging, coincident, and sort of walk them through it. We make, we make up a few metrics and then they say, OK, that's awesome it's also super hard to do, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's why I do this. I get to talk about it. You have to do it, but we can help. Um, so so like you said in, in the intro, right, Sean? Um, but then what happens is then it turns into storytelling um, because when you start sharing this metric, whether it's inside the team or outside the team, look, no one gets excited about data unless they already understand the problem, right? That, like the only time you get excited about data is when you actually understand something. People get excited about stories. And that's when data can be evidence, but it matters to tell the story, just like that headcount one of, look, if we want to maximize you know, our response time, if we want to keep that as low as possible, well, the SOC team has to grow at the rate of the enterprise, maybe a little faster, maybe a little slower, but we've got to add that. That's when you're starting to add context to that data point. Um, and I think that to me is what's powerful when you when you add that storytelling element. That's where talking to the board, talking to senior leaders, even talking across the team, you know, those data points become sort of the color to your story, right? Those aren't the plot points, but they're the interesting things around the plot points as you start to tell that story. Uh, but I love your example of, of readmission because, Ali, I think there's like a huge tie into the SOC there and what you look at in terms of detection and response around topics like readmission, right? Yeah, no, 100%. It's a, And I mean, it comes back to operationalizing those metrics and not having them just be stagnant, right? Like a good example of this is I just released a report with Eric Nost who covers vulnerability management um, at Forrester. And it was all about the crossover between what the SOC does and where there's opportunities, synergies between the SOC and VRM. And in particular, a lot of it comes down to the metrics that you're passing between the two and the metrics that you're providing, uh, particularly from the SOC to VRM to say, hey, this vulnerability got exploited like 16 times in the past month. Maybe we want to patch it. it. Might be useful for us. It might be helpful. Things like that are where you can start to reduce the readmission. And it's also an element where you can stop having security analysts feel like all they're doing is just closing tickets and actually have them feel like they're doing something really valuable because they're improving the security posture of the org. It's getting to that point of actually making things better instead of just being on the hamster wheel. And so that's a very important piece of this. But readmission, it can look like something like that, where you're actually stopping the incident. It can also look like something like during detection engineering and the work that you're doing there. And what are you doing to make sure that when a detection fires, it's accurate? And what metrics do you have around making sure that that detection is becoming more accurate over time? Or whether it's time to deprecate that detection, whether it's time to take a different route and look for ways, other mitigating controls, other compensating controls so that you don't have that detection anymore, whether that's something like, increasing the priority with VRM or whatever, you know, there's a lot of different routes there, but having that understanding of the data and then translating that into something that the other business units that you have to work with care about, that's what's really important here. And I think coming back to Jeff's point with the story, it's not just about coming and saying, hey, this is causing us to have a lot of trouble on this side, we're like facing this many incidents because at the end of the day, that's not gonna mean much to another team, but it's about saying, 
this should raise the likelihood of prioritization because if this vulnerability gets exploited again and we get popped because of it, you're going to be a lot more trouble than I am because I've been closing this over and over and over again. I've been telling you about this over and over and over again. So there's a big opportunity to kind of move things off onto other teams or at least make them aware that the work that they do contributes and is part of this like mesh of effort to stop particular breaches from happening. It puts the sock in a very weird position because ultimately like we're just trying to stop anything that's gotten through everything else. But it's very pivotal because of that, that we feed back into the cycle of improvement for prevention, for protection, for identification of vulnerabilities and help with the prioritization there. Because otherwise, it, it's missing a huge piece of what comes down to actually making sure that we're stopping attacks earlier. Yeah. And you're, you're, you're very close to something that I, that I often often talk about in, in most of my episodes because we end up there somehow, some way. It's a very Pollyannish view of, of uh, this world where cyber says, you know that machine we keep patching and patching and you, that keeps getting popped and popped or we keep detecting stuff on? Well, you know what? It's critical to the business. And if we just change that operating system or that application so we don't have to patch it anymore, <laughs> we could save... VRM, VRM team's time, we could save the SOC team's time, and perhaps even make the experience at that particular point in the workflow even better with an updated system. So I have this view that, that security can actually change the way the business is architected and the workflows are deployed on the systems that we're responsible for protecting. Um, let's, let's talk a bit about, uh, I don't know, good, good, Percentages you mentioned, uh, denominator or, or uh, yeah, putting things in comparison to each other. Uh, how do we, how do we get to the point where we can figure out well, what what is it we're trying to measure? Um, I'm sure that's driven, obviously, as we've talked about, driven by the the decisions we want to make, the outcomes we're trying to achieve. But how do we how do we do that math? Yeah, <laughs> so math, I, or is it math? It, it is math. And I think that I think first and foremost, one of the most important things to prove that this is actually a pragmatic approach is to recognize that the data that you have dictates some of this um, or all of it, frankly. So if, if you have data, then you can create metrics. If you don't have data, if you don't know where the data is, then you can't. Um, and one of the things I often talk through is I have kind of this, it's a blurred spreadsheet uh, because it's from a real organization. And it says, you know, to prove that this is all real, this will exist somewhere. And it's a spreadsheet that takes the metric, the category, how it maps to NIST or whatever framework you align with. Although mostly NIST CSF, you know, kind of kind of rules the world, um, saying that as, you know, from, from the USA, so hi. Um, but, you know, sort of, sort of we lean towards NIST for the most part. It conquered um, most of the globe from a framework perspective, um, you know, aligning it to that. And then you've got your data sources, you've got your math and your equation, and then you've got notes on what this is measuring, who you're using it with and why you're doing it. And, and that does have to exist. There are great metrics out there that I tell organizations, look, I'll give you an example of an awesome metric. And then I'm gonna tell you how you can't use it and you and, and this isn't gonna work for you because you don't have the things in place that would allow you to measure this. I'll, I'll give you an example of one of my favorite ones. Uh, one of my favorite metrics, and I, I got this from a financial organization about six and a half years ago, um, is that they, they effectively created a metric that gave them a leading indicator for insider risk. And what they did is they looked at their organization 
um, they looked at the churn rate. So the retention rate of employees that had access to sensitive intellectual property. Now, right there, you've got to define well, what does that mean? What is sensitive IP? What departments are, are those? Um, and so what they effectively figured out is, look, we know, and Ali and I have to know this because our boss loves insider risk. It's what he covers. So he makes us care about it too. Um, so, so shout out to JB, hopefully he listens. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's sort of like if you have a lower retention rate of employees, so a higher churn rate, that means that it's likely that things are going to leave the building. We know that data leaves when employees are upset, disgruntled, changing jobs, et cetera. So if you have more of those things happening, there's more likelihood. Um, so what they did is they created a metric that was churn rate based on employees with access to sensitive IP. Now, that metric is very difficult to create, first and foremost, because in almost every circumstance where I've had a client implement it, the HR team, come, the HR team comes back and says, no, you can't have that data. It's not your department. You don't get retention rates. Then the security leader has to say, right, but I'm using it for this. And then HR says, okay, you can't tell anyone on your team. And of course, the CISO is like, of course, um, because they're often not the one putting together uh, the metric spreadsheet, right? They have a direct report, but it's compartmentalized information, right? This is considered to be um, um, dicey info to sort of broadcast across the enterprise. So the security leader does that, but let's talk about the decisions that you can make as a result of that. And these are the real decisions the company that shared this with me wanted to make. So what they really wanted was to be able to go back to these departments and say, we are overly permissive. We are giving way too many people way too much access. And while security owned IAM provisioning, meaning the actual allocation and entitlements, they didn't own the decisions for it, right? The, the group decided who got access to what. So the first thing they wanted was to basically be able to say, we should refactor how we give permissions because we're just overly permissive. They were unsuccessful persuading business units to do that. Well, their fallback position was, well, we have UEBA or security analytics, probably the better term today, um, capabilities. And we also have EDR, that could give us insight into information leaving. And the deployment is slowed down in various departments. So that was kind of the fallback position, which was, okay, you have a high churn rate, you have employees with significant access to sensitive intellectual property, and we have endpoints that are not covered enough. Well, that's what we're gonna use to accelerate it. So then they add another component to this, which is they have coverage on the endpoint or not to detect insider threat, or they have an insider risk tool. So when they go in front of the steering committee and say this metric and talk about the fact that this is a problem, high churn rate, low coverage for security controls that could detect this um, and sensitive access to IP. Well, look, this is a little a, a little bit of a, a Mary Poppins view to some extent to your point about sort of Pollyanna, but what did they get from the, from, from the steering committee is, okay, we need EDR to be accelerated in terms of deployment on these systems. There are no more excuses from end user compute that are acceptable, period. We've already bought the tool, we're paying for the tool, deploy it. Right now, about a year and a half later, they actually did get the full refactoring of permissions and entitlements, which they wanted. But there's an example of where you can take and kind of a long one. Sorry, but there's an example of where you can take some things you might have things like EDR coverage, things like access to IP and, and IAM entitlements, and then leverage those things together in concert with other metrics, maybe outside of security to then go to the steering committee and say, this is an unacceptable risk. Uh, so that's kind of how this process works. Now that's a that's a unique example. And, and again, that to me is like a level 400 metric, right? Like that's, you know, you're getting close to graduating college when you have that metric. You're not starting there when you're in 101 and 201, you've got some other things to get there, but that's an example of where you can get when you start building it out this way. I love it. Not, not too long at all, because it's real. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's not uh, a simple one, right? It's it's a difficult right? one, but it's a powerful one. And again, really what happened there is, you know, keep in mind in this scenario, security already bought the EDR tool. They already had the budget for that. They weren't convincing anyone for that. They were literally just saying, hey, we need to deploy this. And end user compute was coming back and saying, okay, but you have 35 agents on the endpoint, <laughs> which which also is a valid concern. Um, that's Ali's problem to solve because she also covers that's EDR right. for us. And I know she's ranting at vendors about that, uh, about too many agents and things like that. But that was an example of where they were saying, hey, I understand, like, we're sorry. But at the same time, this is a real problem. Yeah. So Ali, I, I can take you two different directions here for, for my next thought, because one is, who who defines <laughs> what the metrics should be because in your scenario we've had you have i don't know who led that but it sounds like a risk thing it sounds like uh, uh well certainly inside of risk was the driver but security is involved there hr is involved um i don't know what other data sets so who who drives that that's one path we could go the other is are we too close to our own data and should we have some like a data engineering role that owns those relationships and helps us as security leaders kind of figure out how to get what we want out of it. Maybe they're connected. I don't know. But take, take a path. <laughs> Interesting. Well, Jeff, I, I want you to start by talking a little bit about like, because it sounds like security was what led that. And so for that ex specific example, I'd, I'd like to hear your point of view. And then I can talk a little bit about like from the SOC metrics perspective, the way that I think about the different levels of abstraction and where where is being led. So Jeff, do you want to start by tying a tying a bow on the example? Yeah. So that was led by security. Um, it was it was 100% within security, basically saying, "Look, we have this problem. I know stuff can get out of the building." Um, and and it wasn't this this wasn't their first start at this, right? They had tried other things that weren't successful, but eventually they sort of stumbled into, okay, well, if I look at what causes insider threat, insider risk when stuff leaves, I know that churn's a factor. I don't have visibility into that. So what are the ways I could figure it out? Well, I don't even know if we have churn in those departments. Let me go ask. I know I have churn on the security team, but let me go check. And so that's kind of how they drove it. Um, so it was security leading it and then ultimately kind of finding a way to represent this data that, that wound up being compelling, but took a while to get there. And then on the, the SOC side, so it, this is actually very challenging. Like this is a challenging operational problem. This is not like a simple thing, right? Because yep. there's a lot of different levels here. So when I think about SOC metrics um, more completely, like one of the things that I talk a lot about is the importance of having a program manager who's managing some of these metrics and who like they have other responsibilities as well. But one of the big things that they're doing is they actually understand operations and they actually understand metrics and they don't necessarily need to be someone with a security background. It's pretty cool if they are, because then they really start to get it. But ultimately what they need is a mix of experience where they can, they can work with, in this case, the security discipline to understand what metrics are going to be important and then to, to identify how to measure those metrics. Now that's at kind of that operational level of what's going well in the SOC and what isn't. Um, the, the handoffs are really what's, what's most important here because there are the drivers for collection and presentation of these metrics and operationalization of these metrics are going to be within the individual teams 
that are driving them. So you're going to have the CISO coming to these teams and saying, hey, I need to have metrics around success. The SOC needs to be in the, the program manager or the SOC manager needs to be prepared with the right metrics there. They cannot be just taking whatever it is, whoever wants some information and saying, okay, these are the metrics they ask for, these are the metrics they're getting. They need to give information that's actually going to be useful for them. And I think that's really important is to not just accept what you're asked for. I mean, obviously, give them what you, they ask for, but give them things that are really useful if they're missing them too. And kind of take some take some creative freedom and creative license there because that's a representation of what your department is doing well or poorly. And it's much more important for you to take ownership of that and to showcase that in the way that makes sense that you know is going to make sense for them and it's going to give them what they need. Um, when you take this a level, a level below, like I think the most important thing and the thing that I see missing the most often is just actually having someone who is keeping track of these metrics. Like that's what's really missing. Like when I think about a detection engineering function as an example, one of the issues that I often run into is you get a bunch of people who are really excited to start building detections, but they're not actually testing them. <laughs> they're not actually seeing if they're working or how often they're firing or whether they ever fire or ever fire again after the first time. Those are the types of things that you need to actually measure. And so it, at that point, it comes down to more of recognizing this as like an actual enterprise function, as opposed to just something that people are doing because they know they need to do it. Jeff, I kind of definitely butchered that compared to some no, other. No, I think, you're, <laughs> no I, I, think, I think you're totally right. It's like, look, there's nothing like the best thing in the world is building a YAR rule. The worst thing in the world is figuring out if it matters. Like sort of, it's, it's just not exciting. It's like, I'd rather build another YAR rule because now I learned how to do it. So Ali, I think you're, I think you're exactly right. And I think your point about having someone attached to this, you know, metrics are a luxury problem. Um, and, and I don't mean that they're a luxury problem in terms of money. That's kind of true too, but they're actually a luxury problem in terms of time. Everyone is busy and, and there are few people in the world, again, don't judge me, that want to sit around and think about this. Now, I do. Um, I, I talked to one security leader a few years ago, and they actually hired someone that had a marketing analytics background that, that could come in and work with Tableau, work with Power BI and other things, because they wanted like really, really snazzy metrics. And they just knew they were going to build them themselves. And they basically said, I needed someone that worked in an industry, to your point earlier, Sean, about, about that, that worked in an industry where they make decisions that are impactful in terms of money based on data. And so they brought in someone from marketing that didn't know security, but had done marketing analytics in various companies for looking at things like, hey, A-B testing, which version of the website works better, et cetera. You know, money is made based on these things. And they said that transformed part of the metrics program because now I've got this person that doesn't just do the metrics, they also do the visualizations. And they also help with the storytelling when I spread this um, internally. And I would say, look, if, if you wind up in the fortunate position of having a boss that doesn't understand what you do every day, never get upset about that, right? There's nothing better than a boss that has no clue what you do because then you can tell them what you do. Um, and, and you can decide what they know if they're a decent person. All that doesn't always happen, but you know, vacuums get filled, right? So if you're the, if you're given the chance to to establish the metrics that dictate if you're doing well or not, man, are you kidding me? That's fan. That's the best place to be in the world. Like I worked two hours today. That's fifty percent more than I worked yesterday. Um, or you know, things like that. Maybe you want to work on that one a little bit, but that's the point. Yeah. 
No, and I, I love I love that you went to the uh, the, the visualization and the storytelling. Um, I teach a security analytics class at Pepperdine, and it I really instill the the idea of storytelling, and it, it's not just listing a percentage or a graph of percentages. It's trying to figure out well, what are you trying to show. What does the data tell you that will tell that story for you in a way that gets somebody to to your point, make that decision <laughs> that you, yeah. you think they should be making. Right. Um, so I, I, I love that. And I probably talk another hour just on, on that whole thing, but um, let's do another one. We'll do another one on data yeah. and storytelling. How's yeah, that? This is fun. I'd, I'd be game for that. Um, so in, in, in closing then any, anything you want to say uh, to maybe just kind of leave somebody with a thought of where to go, what to do next. Uh, so for, for me, and I'll turn it over to Allie. Yeah, I'll turn it over to Allie after this one. But for me, it's it's very much a situation of, um, you know, basically, you know, metrics help make decisions. So figure out the decision that you want and then start plugging away at how you can divide this up to make that decision, that uh, the numbers you need. Yeah, and for me, um, and this sounds weird, but it, for me, it's an exercise in, in empathy because the handoffs here are what's really, really important. You need to understand how other people are going to be using these metrics when you're in a business context. Like you do your own metrics, great. But at the end of the day, you have to interface with other teams and you need to give them the metrics that matter to them, not the ones that matter to you. And so that's a very, very important piece that I that I often see people struggle with is like one of the main issues with SOC metrics is we're passing off metrics that like mean time to remediate and you get to a different department and they're like, I don't know what remediation is. <laughs> like, what do you mean remediation? So handing the metrics that they can actually use um, and making sure that that handoff is, is clear and is concise is going to get you a lot farther and also get you in a very positive position with that team. Yeah. Yeah. Cause your, your reality is not, not necessarily what they're perceiving either. Yeah. <laughs> so, I love it. Well, uh, th this has been fantastic. I'm, I'm super grateful for the two of you to, come on and join and and have this conversation together i hope it's hope it's meaningful for the audience I, it certainly was for me and um yeah you're welcome back anytime happy to have the the data viz one as well so maybe we line that up uh in a few weeks or something of course uh for those listening they know there'll be links uh in the show notes for for uh profiles for ali and and jeff and any resources they think might be useful uh on this regard, research you've done, uh, reports, articles, whatever. Uh, I know we miss, mentioned NIST a few times, if that's a relevant resource or not, but any, anything you think would be useful for folks, we'll include in the notes for this. And uh, of course, thanks everybody for listening. Please share, subscribe, connect with Ali and Jeff, define what you want to, to uh, achieve and build your metrics or not. Thanks everybody. Thanks so much. Pentera, the leader in automation security validation, allows organizations to continuously test the integrity of all cybersecurity layers by emulating real-world attacks at scale to pinpoint the exploitable vulnerabilities and prioritize remediation towards business impact. Learn more at pentera.io. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it 
with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.